Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. I guess we'll just try this again, right? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, hey, take three. <laughs> take six. Um, <laughs> hey, guys, and welcome to uh, episode 21 of the Movement Docs podcast. I guess this is like to- really like episode 24. I tried recording this multiple times, but it seems to mess up because of my internet. Um, according to Mike, it's due to Mercury being in retrograde. And somehow it's affecting the satellites and messing with my internet connection. I'm not really sure. Anyways, uh, today we've got a very special guest, um, a buddy of ours who uh, I met through powerlifting, surprisingly, right? Mm-hmm. I guess it's not really that surprising, but maybe a little bit surprising. Yeah, um, I guess, so we're gonna, whatever. We're going to be talking a lot about, like, uh, bro science today. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be sitting down with Justin Merrigan, a Ph.D. student at George Mason University. He's a certified strength and conditioning, conditioning specialist through the NSCA and has experienced training a variety of high school and collegiate athletes. As a former elite powerlifter, his research often comprises biomechanical and skeletal muscle responses to variations of the squat, bench, and deadlift. He examines skeletal muscle relations and responses to resistance training via ultrasound imaging. His research objective is to provide further evidence on resistance training program design for both men and women. And despite his busy schedule, we were able to, uh, to get him to sit down and talk with us. So Justin, welcome, uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. I feel like we've gotten to, you know, these past 30 minutes, we've really gotten to know you pretty well. Um, <laughs> the, from, the real side of me, the, the real. Yeah, we, I mean, especially the un, like the, the, the teenage angst, especially all about your teen, teenage angst um, <laughs> in your rebellious days. Yeah. Back in the MySpace, MySpace era. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I need to figure out how to get that off Google. <laughs> oh man, I didn't we even should... know MySpace still existed. We need to, Mike. We need... <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I didn't. I didn't even think it was out there at all. Mm-mm. Mike, we need to forget uh, trying to target people on Tumblr. We need to go back to MySpace. Yeah, maybe we can just like bring it back, and then that'll be like one of those like. Nostalgia things, and everybody will like start going to MySpace instead. Yeah, no, I think it needs to be done. Whatever happened to that Tom guy? Wasn't he everyone's friend on MySpace? Yeah, he was everybody's friend. Well, I didn't, I didn't see him as one of Justin's friends. I deleted him. So, (laughs) oh man, it was Um, my choice. It was you, not him. Yeah, it was exactly. So, uh, Justin, Justin, I met Justin through uh, powerlifting out here in uh, in Winchester um, in spring of 2015 when he was prepping for the Arnold. And hmm. I don't know that we've had anyone on here that's actually competed at that high level of a uh, either any strength sport competition. But uh, Justin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your your super strong powerlifting days? <laughs> yeah, those days are kind of uh, long and long past. Definitely uh, 
after getting hurt, I kind of just never got back into it. I don't know if that was a sign that I was kind of overtraining and uh, burnt out, I guess, so to speak. Um, but after a year of being out, now I'm kind of kind of getting the itch again. But uh, you know, you, like you, like you said, talking about uh, competing at the Arnold Classic and, and whatnot, uh, definitely a great time. But now I see these guys up there and just the numbers that these kids are getting. Uh, it's just incredible. Hmm. Like I remember like when I was competing, it was, I'm talking like it was so long ago. It was really only like two or three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> like my last competition was like a year and a half ago. It's <laughs> 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 like so long ago, but it's crazy how much, um, stronger everyone has been getting in the past few years. Really. I mean, if you look at like the leaderboards, it's, uh, like the top 20, like all time lists, um, they're all from the, like the last year or two. It's just insane. Um, I think I, well, I squat like 640 at the Arnold that year. And uh, that made the, the top uh, 20 all-time list. And now like 640 wouldn't get you anywhere close to that. Whoa. It's just insane. Yeah. And, um, I think and that was I just, just passed uh, 181. 181. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but this, like even this past, uh, Arnold, some guy squatted like 770 or something like that at 181, oh my gosh. Like, like 700 squats at 181 are becoming like more and more common. I feel like, why, uh, why, why do you think that is just out of curiosity? Like what in the past you know, like, honestly, two years, I feel like it's just, it's just the sport is growing and more people are doing it. And I think that's all, in all honesty, all that it is, mm-hmm. you know, you you look at when powerlifting like first started, not many people were doing it. Um, now I feel like with the uh, Instagram hype, <laughs> everyone, everyone's hopping on, you know, like the powerlifting uh, or Olympic lifting bandwagon and just kind of uh, tagging along competing. And some guys are taking off with it and they're doing very, very, very well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, so it's definitely getting much more competitive than what it used to be, I'm sure. Okay. So there's just, there's like, there's more people that are doing it. Um, so a greater number of people and then, uh, the notoriety is kind of helping improve the, the numbers you think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. You know, do you think, yeah, uh, at, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking like, you know, you look at some of these guys like in the NFL and stuff like that. Um, freaks, freaks of nature. Um, I guarantee if you get some of those guys competing in like powerlifting or Olympic lifting, um, their numbers would be insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been that way for a very long time. I think it's just now powerlifting uh, is kind of taking its course, and more people are doing it. So, but those same those same I feel like you're get. freaks though, like those guys probably aren't going to do powerlifting or Olympic lifting or strongman because there's probably not as much money in it as there would be for like NBA uh, stuff like that. Absolutely not, and that's why. That's why I feel like the sport wasn't where it is now years ago. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense at all. (laughs) I feel like now it's growing, you know, and I think a lot of, in all honesty, I think a lot of it has to do with social media because I don't see half the people doing it just to do it. Hmm. Um, Everything's blowing up on, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or uh, actually only old people use Facebook nowadays, right? <laughs> Although some of, some of like, us millennials are going back to my, I feel like the only <laughs> heck yeah, we are. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I see that all the time where, you know, um, they're only doing it for the publicity, um, or, or the likes or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they would be doing it had that not been there. Interesting. Okay. And I'm not saying that's the case for everybody or something like that. I just feel like, you know, something to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, I, or I, I at least wonder if that's uh, one of the reasons that it's growing so much. There's got to be, I'm there's sure. got to be with stuff like CrossFit um, getting as big as it has, just exposing people to, you know, power lifts or Olympic lifts. That's got to be probably part of it too. That and just being in the age where everything is on, you know, Instagram Live, Facebook Live, Snapchat, um, you know, Instagram videos, YouTube, all that stuff. There's just so much more exposure than there was back in the day. And I mean, this is even mm-hmm. with. Yeah, definitely. Within the past, like, 10, 12 years. Yeah, and I think you can uh, um, – uh, I don't even know what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Just blanked. Just blanked. <laughs> I think I think uh, CrossFit, 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 CrossFit definitely, like, initiated a lot of the Olympic lifting and powerlifting. And I think it's just kind of like – that whole old uh, mindset of the big three lifts or the Olympic lifts being bad um, kind of went by the wayside. And I think more people doing it now um, is kind of showing that it's not really that bad. Mm. Like you're not going to turn into, especially for uh, females, you know, I see more, more and more women getting in the sport of powerlifting and Olympic uh, lifting, which I think is very cool. Um, Cause they're not afraid of that. You know, I'm going to turn into a man uh, or whatever kind of mentality that I, pe- I feel like people held on to for too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so they're just, cause the old way, I feel like, you know, you're just running or calisthenics or something like, you know what I mean? Like the, the fitness, uh, is just a little bit different. I feel like videos with Richard Simmons <laughs> or Tybo. Oh yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to meet that guy. Mm-hmm. Richard Which Simmons? One? Richard Simmons or, or Billy Blanks? Oh, geez, both, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I we, used to, we used to do the Tybo videos, uh, my mom, my sister, and I. We would do them. We had the video cassette tapes, and we would all go downstairs, and then we listen to Billy Blanks just being like, you just got to believe in yourself, and like all this stuff, and we were really motivated, and it was fun. <laughs> See, uh, recently, and when I say recently, I mean within the past three years, um, my grandmother actually got the... Richard Simmons, I think it's like working out to the oldies or dancing to the oldies workout tapes, which I think were made in like the 70s or 80s, but she just bought them off QVC recently. Um, that was an interesting, interesting. thing to watch happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just... Your grandma doing it or just the oldies music? Both. Her trying to get me to dance along with her to Richard Simmons while like, the big band music's playing. You know, it's like, hmm. there's just, it's very strange. It's like swing dance. You just hear like the Victrola like put on in the background and it's just like, and then like bass lines and stuff and Richard Simmons. And then there's like a random like Reebok step and they're doing kind of like a robot. It's very strange. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a memorable experience. It doesn't come out of my brain. Um, so, but powerlifting wasn't your first uh, like foray into the world of strength, was it? Didn't you start out as a bodybuilder? 
Yeah, actually. And then I realized how much I enjoy eating. And uh, <laughs> that's when I became a powerlifter. <laughs> so how long, when did you start getting into powerlifting? And because you, you did the Arnold in 2015. So how, how long before that were you, did you, I guess like. It actually wasn't. It actually wasn't really long before that. I think it was really. I want to say I started maybe 2013. Okay. Wow. So within a year yeah. and a half, you. Qualified I mean, I, I, I was lifting. Yeah, I mean, I was lifting for uh, quite a long time, but. Um, but you. Actually, starting to like train the main lifts uh, and follow actual programs because the first, you know, I started lifting probably when I was like I don't know 16 or something like that. Um, yeah, it had to be like 16 because I, I think I had to be 16 to join the, join the YMCA or something like that. Hmm. Um, but I remember, uh, right before then getting, saving up all my money and getting like a, a Smith machine and, uh, one of those like universal gyms, uh, for your house. Mm-hmm. Um, and starting on that struggling to bench like 50 pounds for like one rep. <laughs> um, yeah, now you just but yeah, and then now you just struggle I, to bench four hundred pounds for one rep. Exactly, just a little difference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think uh, you know I started super young, and then I did the bodybuilding for a little while. It was kind of like my dream, and then uh, I just realized I didn't really like it. I don't like the dieting, mm-hmm. and in all honesty. I definitely did not have the genetics for it. <laughs> <laughs> what about, and, what about know, the spray tans? People, did you like the spray tans? I actually, that was that was my favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> was the spray tans. <laughs> it was staining, you know, staining the white sheets, and that really uh, really made me happy. Anyway, yeah, you have to put on like multiple um, layers of that too, right? It's not just like one coat that you spray on. Oh yeah, I I think I put on like three three coats or something like that. Nice. Um, yeah, and then you shower and it looks like you're melting, <laughs> like everything's just like <laughs> it's like mud in your bathtub. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. It's very weird. It's not kind of weird. It's very weird. <laughs> um, it was a cool experience though. It was definitely a cool experience. Um, had I had the genetics that I needed for it, and I'm sure me saying genetics on here, everyone's going to be like, oh, this guy, you talk about genetics. Genetics, I see all this stuff all the time, like genetics are nothing. Genetic, don't blame it on genetics. Like, do you, like, have you ever read a book? Like, do you know anything? Like, dude, science is like, science proves that genetics are uh a main component. You know what I mean? There's so many genetic, uh, uh, components that go into bodybuilding or powerlifting. Uh, you have to have the potential to be at the top. Um, if you're going to be at the top, you know what I mean? But, uh, so you're, you're trying to tell me that yeah. I would not be an Olympic level marathon runner. You know what? It's 2018. You could do anything you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I mean, I identify as a marathon runner. Yeah, I, t- <laughs> yeah. I identify as a Olympic medalist in the slalom skiing. Oh, dude, you want to do double skeleton with me? 
Yeah, let's do it. I don't. I should probably be on the bottom because I'm a little bit heavier, so we can slide down the ice tube faster <laughs> and break my fall if Mike, we crash. You can be our coach, much akin to John Candy in the classic Disney movie Cool Runnings. Perfect. <laughs> I was going to ask if you wanted to do bobsled. Except we'll probably get like Christopher Nolan to, or maybe even like Guillermo del Toro to direct this. I think some weird like kind of like animatronic like puppets in the movie would make for not not like Jar Jar Binks style, but like more um, Pan's Labyrinth, a little more Ooh. horror themed. I think it'd be kind of like a dark Netflix original type movie, <laughs> like a new twist on a modern classic. <laughs> Horror themed. You've really given this a lot of thought, man. <laughs> I have. I've actually written three screenplays for it. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. We're pitching this to you on live air, so, so you can't say no. Is is really what we're trying to do? This is the, the reason that we're having this. Podcast. Yeah, I have no choice. I have to yeah. do it. I have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So we know you've got this background in both like bodybuilding and um, powerlifting. And so how did that translate into becoming a PhD student? Honestly, man, I, I had no idea I was going to be in a PhD program. Um, it was definitely not where I saw myself going. Um, I actually originally, I wanted to be a PT, uh, out of high school. And then, uh, my SAT scores were too low to get in the three plus three program. And I was like, I'm not spending seven years in school, blah, blah, blah. And here I am spending 10 <laughs> years in school. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I think it, I think I just had such a passion for, uh, fitness or bodybuilding, powerlifting, whatever, uh, segue you want to take with it. And then I just wanted to learn as much as I can learn about it. And, uh, after my bachelor's, in all honesty, I just couldn't find a job. Um, so I went on, got my master's, and then uh, I kind of fell in love with the research. Uh, and that kind of took me into the PhD program. So I feel like it kind of found me more than I found it, sort of thing. But uh, And you were at Mason for, yeah. for your master's program, too? Yep, just finished that last year. Nice. So this is my first year in the PhD program. And uh, what is it like being a PhD student? Even though it feels like feels like I already finished four years in this one year, but you know, <laughs> what's it feel like being a PhD student? Um, I'm gonna plead the fifth on this question. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 rough, man. It's not a it's not an easy gig. Um, I think you have. I think the first year is probably going to be one of your hardest. Um, at least I hope it's going to get better. But people say I have the easiest. I have it the easiest that I'll have it right now, mm. um, which scares the crap out of me. Because if this is easy, <laughs> I don't want to know what I have in the future. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's you. Have, you just have to wear a lot of hats, um, especially if you're trying to take it seriously. Uh, I think it's a competitive obviously very competitive at this level. Um, so if I'm not doing research, teaching, uh, things of that nature, I feel like I don't have the competitive edge when I graduate, um, to get a good postdoc or to get into, uh, right into a faculty position after 
I graduate, you know, so I'm just trying to uh, basically wear a lot of hats while I'm in the program. You know, I got my own classes I have to deal with, um, but then teaching a class, which is a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then balancing all the research on the side of it, you know, research for your grad assistantships because you really don't want to pay for a PhD program if you don't have to. Um, and then your own research for like your dissertation or whatever. So you're just balancing, uh, it's really just all about learning how to balance, uh, all the work that you have to do, but also balancing your life so that you don't lose your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What is, uh, you mentioned that you were, you were teaching and you were teaching a class. So what, what class are you teaching specifically? And like, what have you learned about yourself from that? So I'm teaching, uh, it's called the Concepts of Strength and Conditioning course, and it's a, uh, it's basically based off of the uh, Essentials of Strength and Conditioning textbook okay. for the uh, CSCS exam. So, uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's really just, it's not a prep course, mm-hmm. um, but it's based off of that material. Okay. And it's, uh, so those out, those of you out there that don't know what that is, um, it's basically in my mind, it's the, uh, it's the gold standard. If you want to be a strength coach, and that's, that's the uh, CSCS certification. That's your, yeah. CSCS certification. I think that's the, the one you need to get. Um, if you're trying to be a strength coach, I think it's the one that people are going to take mo- the most seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and really just the brand itself. NSCA is a great organization. Um, so just being a part of that, like just getting your head in there and being a part of that's, uh, it's a great way to one, meet people. Um, that's all my students. It's, you know, you could excel in this class. Uh, you can excel in all the other classes, but if you're not out there meeting people, um, not really necessarily making a name for yourself, um, but just getting to know people in the field, you need to have some kind of in, at least in my opinion. Um, it's not always about what you know. It's a kind of about who you know. Um, so getting out there and NSCA is a great way to do that. All the conferences that they have and, and things like that. And they're always great people. It's kind of more relaxed than some other conferences that you would go to, which is nice. It's an, it's a nice, uh, nicer setting to be in, in my okay. opinion. So the, the, uh, I don't even feel like I answered your question. I just kind of well, uh, went on a tangent well, we, there. We, we get on the tangents and rabbit holes all the time. That's kind of like par for the course for our show. This is all good information too. And I'm glad you brought this up too. So I'm just kind of like making sure I got this right. So like the conferences that you go to, like the, uh, like the NSCA in particular, yeah, you get to learn a lot of cool stuff, but it mm-hmm. also seems like it's a great opportunity to, to kind of network and meet people and, and figure out a way that you can uh, work your way into that like field. Is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah, man, definitely. Uh, I think if you're not going to these conferences, you're not doing yourself justice. Uh, even when I was in my undergrad program, you know, I, I remember going out to uh, Michigan State University, and uh, they would have a conference always in like the worst time of the year to be in Michigan. It was always in like February. <laughs> Actually, it might have been in March, but either way, like it's always snowing there. <laughs> so we, I remember the one time, you know, driving in like basically a blizzard to get there. Um, but. Uh, you know, you have to, you have to do those kinds of things, uh, in order to get the internships that you need in order to get the experience because you graduate with your, uh, you know, your bachelor's and it's, it sounds great on paper, but everyone wants you to have like six years of experience <laughs> when you get out and you're like, well, <laughs> how am I supposed to get that if no one's going to give me an opportunity? Mm-hmm. Um, so really you just need to meet the person that's going to 
uh, you need to meet someone and you need to prove yourself to them and basically have them uh, feel like they can take a, sh- a chance with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think if you have uh, if you have a few people to go to go to bat for you, uh, that's just a bonus and that's a, it's an easy way to get you in somewhere. Helps, yeah. Jake and I talked a lot about that yeah. um, on our first episode. Um, just putting like a face to the name in a sense, you know, so like, yeah, you have this piece of paper, but it's not going to do so much for you. If you know, that's all you got one, you need the experience, but two, you also have to have that in, in, in a way, or at least, uh, having a, you know, like that face to the name. So I think that's an awesome way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something. And I think it shows, it shows too, that you're serious about stuff. You know what I mean? Like, if, uh, I know with technology, the way it is now, you know, you could Skype into interviews and you could do this and do that. But, um, we just actually had a, a PhD candidate uh, fly from Arizona um, to come interview for the PhD program. And I was like, that's kind of cool, man. You know what I mean? Like there's obviously you could have Skyped in, there was nothing wrong with that. And people weren't, weren't going to think anything less of you for mm-hmm. Skyping in. But to me, that kind of shows that, you know, you're really serious about this and you're a hard worker. If you're going to, you know, get in a plane and fly across the country just to, uh, you know, have a one hour mm-hmm. interview is kind of, to me, it just shows that's you really want yeah. this. Yeah, man, you you show yeah, yeah, you show the initiative, and you put a name or a face to a name, and like you said, you make you make connections, yeah. you build relationships with people. And I mean, if that's with a lot a lot of these conferences, a lot of it's just kind of schmoozing and talking with people, grabbing a burger, grabbing some beers, whatever it is, and just like making that human connection. Because at the end of the day, like. Nobody really is really going to care if you got a C in history class. You know, they might be like, oh, maybe your science GPA no. needs to get up. But at the same time, like whatever program you're going to be in, they're going to teach you what you need to know. You know what I mean? Most of those requirements from undergrad are just prerequisites yeah, to get you in there. And then they're going to teach you all the stuff that you need to know to, to continue on your, your educational path. Um, but yeah, I mean, just getting out there and, and even in today's world, like creating a brand or, you know, making an Instagram profile, interacting with other people, yeah. whether it's strength and conditioning professionals or rehab professionals or whatever field you want to be in, um, doing that, kind of creating a presence for you, for yourself and just making, getting your name out there is what's super important these days. Um, yeah. And, it, and you, you have to take it seriously too, man. You know, I see a lot of, I see a lot of people, uh, I don't want to say necessarily posting uh, inappropriate things, but um, not posting the the most appropriate things if you're trying to be a professional in the field, you know. And once once you put stuff out there on social media, it's there, um, as you can see with uh, MySpace um, from earlier today. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's out there, you know what I mean. So uh, my the new thing, uh, well, new for me. I've never had a Twitter up until like this year, but you know, doing the same thing where I'm trying to uh, network to all these people and, and Twitter is Twitter's the way that they're kind of going uh, as far as social media goes. Uh, I guess I am getting old now that I'm more frequent on Twitter and ResearchGate and LinkedIn than uh, Instagram or Snapchat. But <laughs> um, show Tumblr, my man. age. Tumblr and MySpace are the way of the future. Um, Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> Reddit. Reddit. Dude, AM, Mike, we should Mike, we should do an AMA sometime right. soon. <laughs> we should. Hey, we're, uh, we're two grad students <laughs> who have a podcast about physical therapy. Ask us anything. And then we'll get like two people ask us questions. It'll be great. <laughs> uh, yep. 
Justin, you also gave me you also gave me the um, the perfect title for our movie, and that's uh, "It's Always Snowing in Detroit." Oh, it'd be kind of like go. a cross between Cool Running, <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth, and then It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So maybe we can get we can get Charlie Day to voice one of the yeah. animatronic uh, CGI characters. Yeah, I think we would have to. I think we would have to. Yeah. <laughs> That's Do you think we can get Danny DeVito to be our fourth bobsled member? Skeleton. He oh, so skeleton. I imagine. <clears throat> So we'll probably have like he's probably he's gonna be like the rival skeleton crew. To me, it'll be like Danny DeVito and Charlie Day's animatronic CGI character, which I know are two completely different things, but I'm putting them together for the sake of what I'm talking about: CGI and animatronicness. Um, but they'll be our our rival skeleton. Like, like did you ever watch um, what was the rollerblading movie on Disney Channel? Yes. Brink? No, it wasn't. It was Brink. Because there was Team Pup and Suds, and then there was the X Blades. Right? Danny That's DeVito right. would right. be like the X Blades. And then, and so then we're Team, team Pup and Suds. And like, <laughs> you know, with your tutelage, and then Justin and I's skeleton skills and extensive background in strength sports, we would band together and use like heart, much like Haji from Captain Planet. Wait, no, that wasn't Haji. It was Haji from Johnny Quest. Anyways, I'm getting my stuff confused here. Um, but we would band together and use the powers of our heart and willpower and determination to overcome the evil skeleton doubles crew. So You really put a lot of thought into this. I just kept talking. I need to see the I need to see the script. I need to see the script. One day. That's great. One day. <laughs> when, when you're ready. We're in talks with uh, Lionsgate and MGM. Um, but we're probably gonna have to shoot it as like an MGM. indie film. So mm, naturally, it'll, it'll, it'll go on Sundance or something. It'll be good. Yeah, it'll be it'll be such like a hipster cult classic Perfect. that um, it will never gain mainstream attention, which is completely fine. <laughs> no, we don't want that. We don't want that. Are we gonna actually film it in Detroit, or are we gonna be like The Office and film uh, the movie in some like other location in California? Um, I'd like I mean, to... we could. Do you want to go back to Scranton? Because that's where you're from, right? Yeah, but I mean, if we're going to call it always snowy in Detroit, I feel like it has to be in Detroit. We should just film it in like a, like Argentina <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and then just have like the opening scene uh, from actual footage in Detroit. Just yeah, it doesn't have to be get, like... Just the introduction, just the intro to the show is Detroit. Just like a screenshot. And then move to yeah. move on to and Argentina. Yeah, and then we've got we've got Kid Rock, Detroit Rock City playing, um, <laughs> and then there's just nothing else that relates to the city of Detroit or the state of Michigan ever. Like everyone's license plates, like literally just say like Argentina. <laughs> um, <laughs> everything everything on the like signs is in is in Spanish. There's no English words anywhere. 
Um, you know, kind of like Clint Eastwood when he shot the spaghetti westerns. <laughs> right. So, um, anyways, so back to like actually having a real conversation. Um, I don't like this. <laughs> I mean, I I like talking about our theoretical screenplays. Anyway, um, so you you mentioned that you do. It's not really CSCS prep course, but it's. Like a, basically like a strength and conditioning principles class at George Mason. Right. Right. Um, now, do you encourage the students to take the CSCS exam? Yeah, so it's actually um, it's a requirement for them to take either the CSCS or ACSM uh, EPOC um, before they graduate. So they have to they have to just take the exam. They don't necessarily have to pass it. Um, but yeah. I encourage them to take the CSCS, not because I'm maybe because I'm biased. I don't think it's because I'm biased. Um, just because I think it's a uh, it's a good it's really a good certification to have, um, especially if you're if they're trying to work with athletes or something along those lines. Um, obviously, whatever whatever their goals are is the uh, exam that they're going to take, but. Um, you know, if they're trying to be a, uh, a lot of them want to be physical therapists also. And I think the CSCS is a good, um, obviously has nothing to do with, uh, not literally has to do with, it doesn't literally have to do with physical therapy, but having, a, some of those same concepts and programming skills, I think, uh, definitely will benefit them, uh, in the future. And it's obviously a credential that you could put out the end of your name. So. It's yeah. all about the letters. It's all about the letters. <laughs> um, yes, and and no. Sometimes I feel like it depends. It depends on what those letters are. I mean, depending on what oh, you, yeah. the courses that you take, and obviously the meaning that you give to them, um, yep. they, they can be important or not important. Um, but then it also kind of makes you look like a very pretentious person when you just have like fifteen letters after your name. <laughs> You just make half of them up. <laughs> They're not even real. <laughs> Q Q W P T T T O P Q R S W. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna put C P R at the end of my name because I'm certified in that. So just in case anyone wants to know. That's perfect. We should we should start doing that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, but, but like like you said though, like it, it is speaking as a physical therapist working in the in the community. Um, I think it is something that is very beneficial to just entry level PTs to have, especially for people that don't really have a background in exercise. Because you'd be surprised there's there's a fair number of PTs out there that either come from the, you know their second career PTs where they were in a different, you know, whether it was business or something else and then decided they wanted to go into physical therapy and switched over. Um, or even just people that like weren't really athletic in high school that don't really have like a performance or like an exercise background, but just have like the science. And so yeah. I think it's, it's challenging, especially the way that our curriculum is structured in school. You don't get a ton of therex like therapeutic exercise or exercise progressions. And what you do is kind of condense down. And it seems like with a lot of students that we've talked to, 
Um, and Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, there doesn't seem to be a ton of like exercise, exercise progressions, uh, or energy systems development, or any of those big topics that you would see in the CSCS in a typical PT program. A lot of times that, that information is kind of like secondary, like whether it's nutritional stuff, um, you may get it in like a special mm-hmm. topics class, but a lot of the exercises and progressions you're, you're almost expected to learn at clinic or it's something that's like, oh yeah, you'll figure right. that out um, on your own. And it's almost like the mentality of, if you know the anatomy and you know what muscles do, you can figure out how to make them work, which isn't, yeah. it's not wrong, but it's not probably the most optimal way of, of doing, doing that stuff. And so even though the S or the CSCS may have, um, you know, some stuff that may not always be up to par with what's currently practiced out there, just because it takes a while for the book and the test to, you know, get updated. Um, it's still a great foundational resource for people that want to know a little bit more about exercise, want to know a little bit more about energy systems, nutrition, hydration, um, and those types of things that you won't go into depth in your PT program. Yeah, I think it gives, I think it gives a very good, uh, I think it reads kind of well too, uh, especially a new edition. Um, like I feel, I, I don't feel like it's a hard read. It's not like a biology textbook or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, I think they cover like the main systems, like the neuromuscular, um, endocrine, like you were mentioning, uh, bioenergetics, mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. I think they, they cover those, uh, all very well in my opinion. Um, and it leads right into basically every purpose of any kind of anything that you do in programming, uh, revolves around those energy systems and, uh, the endocrine responses or hormonal responses. Um, so I think there are things that you need to know, uh, if you're going to be programming, but you also have to be able to apply it, right? Like, like you were saying, what, what, what good is having that knowledge if you don't even know how to, uh, apply it to a program or an exercise Mm -hmm. and what have you. Um, I also feel like having a background in that knowledge kind of helps you Mm -hmm. weed out the bullshit that's out there. Am I allowed to curse on here? <laughs> My bad. It's it's all good. Anyways, anyways, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, cause you see, you see tons of stuff out there uh, in the field. So if you have a uh, working knowledge with you know motor motor control and learning, uh, neuromuscular systems, things like that, you can kind of tell what's uh, what's good and what's not good, basically. You know, if you're doing plyometrics until you puke versus doing plyometrics for power, like they're supposed to be, uh, if you know, basically, if you know the, the scientific foundations, it helps the practical application. But if you need to know the practical application, if you're going to be able to understand uh, the scientific foundations, I really do think they go hand yeah, in hand. Yeah, it's like understanding the, the why behind and the intent behind each of the things that you're programming for, right? So you have an athlete... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Having that understanding of, of, like you just said, practice and implication and like putting it to work. You got to be able to have both of that. Knowledge isn't just going to be enough. Yeah, because you can't just, I mean, I feel like people a lot of times they're just uh, experts on exercises, right? So it's, it sounds cool because they're throwing all these uh, awesome exercises. Uh, I just did some air quotes uh, for those of you that can't see me right now. Um, <laughs> I'm just imagining that you're talking about people that do like literally anything and everything that they possibly can on a BOSU ball. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I just had that conversation the other day where, you know, you're just throwing stuff, uh, throwing these exercises on BOSU balls or, or whatever, just cause it's flashy. Right. Um, but a lot of times I think, uh, we forget the real purpose that we're here for. Um, and uh, like, as a strength and conditioning coach, my job isn't really to make you better at your sport. It's really just to build a, a foundation, um, for you to, grow off of right like increase your ability in the sport but it's not going to increase your skill or anything um and we get too sport specific which really probably leads to more overuse injuries because if you're doing you know football for example right you got some offensive linemen or 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 whatever and they're pushing all day they're basically bench pressing all day and then you're going to throw them in the weight room and all you're going to do is bench press because it's sport specific and then you get you know, you get into, uh, uh, you get them I, again, you can't see me, but they're all hunched over, right? <laughs> they're all hunched over. Their shoulders are, are, are way forward. Um, uh, they're all chest and arms, no back, um, no posterior chain. Um, so, I mean, you know, sports specificity is another thing that I think people get way too carried away with, but, um, yeah, it's just fancy exercises mm-hmm. for, for no reason. Like, you know, you got no, or, or, or exercises in the wrong spot just to throw them anywhere. Um, I think that's where the, where the programming kind of mm-hmm. uh, falls apart at. We just try to get too, too creative in a way. You know what I mean? Are you saying that like supersetting plyometrics and like band resisted shoulder external rotation are not a good thing to finish your work on <laughs> workout with? <laughs> yeah. About that. People then, also like really. I feel like people underestimate plyometrics like a lot, right? They don't realize like how like I do plyometrics and I'm like sore, like really sore. <laughs> it's taxing. It's more ta- if you do them correctly. It's more taxing than uh, than you think. You don't need to do like 300 reps of uh, mm-hmm. box jumps to get a workout in. What about doing 300 reps of box jumps with Bosu balls strapped to your feet? <laughs> And 315 pounds of barbell weight on your back with chains, reverse bands in a squat, single ply squat suit. I'm just picturing (laughs) the amount of enhancement that you would get from all that. Right. Cause that's how you take a high school football player from, you know, good to NFL caliber. Yeah. Is by doing all the ridiculous exercises. Do you guys know what BOSU ball stands for? I found that out like last no, year and what? it just blew my mind. Both what? sides up. Right? Mind blowing. Exactly. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I guess I just took it for face value. Yeah. I was just like, oh, it's a it's yeah. a it's a random name, BOSU. Okay, <laughs> cool. But now it makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly because you, you can literally turn both sides up yeah literally it's incredible wow it's incredible yeah so if you had to if you had to pick one uh piece of exercise equipment that's your favorite would it be the bosu ball yeah probably <laughs> um do you want a serious answer to that <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, that's a tough one, man. Uh, 
That's a really tough one. A barbell. <laughs> That's it. Just a barbell. That's all you need. I mean, you can do so much with it. Yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I'm kind of big on the basics. Uh, but, I mean, one piece of actual equipment. I'm trying to think of a piece of actual equipment that is, like, absolutely necessary that you can't go without. You know what I mean? Um, like, even, like, a GHR um like you can go without a GHR. Yeah, because if, if you, you have a barbell, you can do RDLs. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you could do, you can still do G, uh, GHRs, but you just don't do them with the machine, right? You just do partner assisted, um, something along those lines. So I think there's there's ways around uh, equipment sometimes. Um, I want to say one of my one of my favorite uh, pieces of equipment is actually mm. the kettlebell. Mm. I think kettlebells are pretty universal. I don't think they get as much uh, credit yeah, as they should. Are phenomenal. At the internship I'm at right now, um, we use them for everything, um, for for rehabs, also for like performance training as well. So it's it's pretty pretty cool piece of equipment. Yeah, it's versatile. You know, I mean, it changes the biomechanics a little bit. There's a lot more exercises that you can do. Uh, I think it makes the the clean and the snatch a little bit easier, in my opinion just because I have very immobile wrists. <laughs> so are you saying that you're not genetically built to be an Olympic lifter? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. But you can still <laughs> identify as one, though. I'm really good at being sedentary. Um, so I'm going to try to be the number one at that. <laughs> And just go with it. Oh my gosh, that's great. Nice. So what kinds of, <laughs> for like students that are out there that, obviously we talked about CSCS a good bit, um, what kind of job opportunities are there for someone who pursues a CSCS? Well, I think the obvious one is uh, uh, working directly with uh, athletes uh, of some, some form, right? Whether it be uh, in a, uh, a team setting, or a lot of a lot of places around here in this area uh, of Northern Virginia have uh, like I don't know external clinics or or whatnot um, performance performance gyms or whatever you want to call them um, that train athletes and I think that's another another good way to do it. Um, but if you want to get out of the uh, public sector, I think you you go into the government. And I think that's a good a good way to go. Honestly, um, had I had I to do this over again, I would probably try to go there right off the bat um, and work with the military. So you, gotcha. You're talking about like a strength and conditioning specialist for like a military or tactical group. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's growing very rapidly right now. So I think you can easily get on uh, on that bandwagon or whatever you want to whatever you want to call that uh, on that upswing in professional. Uh, development. So they definitely have, you know, fi- I see even uh, firemen, policemen, um, they're all kind of hopping on it and getting uh, outsourced for um, physical training. I see it changing a lot. Yeah, there's definitely like a, a growth in that um, population, like the tactical population. Yeah, I mean, definitely. The NSCA now has the, the TSAC or the Tactical strength and conditioning specialties. Yeah, I'm actually I'm, like, I'm uh, going to that conference uh, 
April 2nd to April 5th, something like that. Okay. Uh, so that'll be kind of cool experience. Um, it's like a four-day conference just for uh, oh, nice. tactical population, so it's kind of cool. Now, is, yeah. is like strength and conditioning like programming and stuff for the tactical population uh, much different from what it would be for different sports? I feel like you're always going to have something that you need to change a little bit uh, just to meet the meet the needs of who you're working with, right? Um, so you're, you're going to have to change the programming a little bit, but I think it's all based off of the same the same kind of mentality, the same uh, principles, right? General adaptation syndrome, uh, law of specificity, things like that. Um, you're still basing everything yeah. off of it. Balancing fatigue and uh, performance, things of that nature. So your programming is really still, uh, in a way, based off of the same uh, concepts, at least mm -hmm. from what I see it. Um, you just might have uh, different exercises, uh Different um, different styles of periodization, okay. maybe in different sports uh, compared to others. Where linear is not going to be the best uh, for some. Um, that's kind of I feel like I feel like linear periodization honestly is kind of like a uh, it's like the base just to understand periodization, but I don't feel like it's really been used that much. I don't know, uh, Jacob, if you feel the same way, but. Um, I feel like uh, undulating periodization is kind of okay. on the upswing, uh, or or some some West Side uh, methods and th things of that nature. <laughs> conjugate uh, method. Conjugate method. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's there's always going to be pros and cons to to each one of those, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, that's the big thing. Everybody's like, "What's the best program in strength?" Yeah. It's it. There is no best program. It's whatever works for you. And as long as there's something that you can be consistent with and you can see personal growth on, that's going to be the best one. And so I think, I think with a lot of stuff, just like with working with any other athlete, um, with those tactical populations, it's got to probably come down to what their overall workload is. You know, what are the specifics of their job? Um, how, how much physical activity yeah. are they getting? Even if it's not, you know, exercise and training, but how much physical activity are they getting and what are, what do they need to do? Like I'm all the programming comes back to, it all comes back to the, the person, right? Who you're yeah. training. But I'm working with the, in rehab right now, I'm working with a firefighter and, um, you know, some of the required the job requirements for that are, you know, they got to be able to put on like 50, 60 pounds of gear, carry around 50, 60 pounds of stuff, you know, crawl through spaces, run up staircases with all this stuff on, um, drag like a 200 pound, uh, body, um, for like rescue. So stuff. you probably do a lot of like functional training with them, huh? Uh, yeah. Can you see my air quotes? Functional. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're asking if we're pushing sleds, pulling sleds, and picking up heavy objects and moving them around, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I mean, those are those are the type of considerations that I think with with any population. But I, I think there's there's certainly you know specializing in a, in a field and learning about you know what kinds of injuries do you have or what kinds of requirements yeah. or will the military have or police forces or firefighters and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I think it comes down to just knowing uh, as much about whoever you're working mm -hmm. with as you can. Right. Mm -hmm. So whether it be military or whatever sport, um, that's why I, I try to like 
I try to get my students to, um, they have to do a project at the end of the year, uh, basically write a program and, and defend it um, and kind of create a portfolio that they can take on with them uh, uh, after graduation. But um, I try to get them to pick a sport that they don't really follow. Um, so I go out there and, and learn a sport. Uh, so you need to have that knowledge. You can't just you can't just train someone just to train them and not really understand what mm-hmm. the hell they're going to be doing with it. You know what I mean? You need to know what 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 kind of demands they're going to have physically, mentally um, when they're playing or or working in their fields, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Mike, you're getting some experience down down where you are with military populations and stuff. What are your, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I, I think uh, you guys kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, just talking about that needs analysis and, and really just keen into that. Um, you know, that's that's like the, the biggest thing, right? It's like, wh- what is it that you need to be able to do? Um, okay, let's figure out how we can get you to that point. Yeah. Um, and and just going from there. And so a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we'll do. It's, it's kind of cool, too, because the Exos kind of does, like, um, they blend rehab and performance really well together, you know. So, like, the, the rehab facility is in the, like, strength conditioning area. It's all open concept. So, you know, they'll come over and do the rehab stuff, and they'll go right into their conditioning and all of that. And so it's, it's kind of like a nice back and forth, open communication between everybody and all health professionals involved. But I think it all just stems from that, you know, like, what, what do you need to be able to do? Um, let's figure out what that is and, and what like that entails. And then we'll, we'll program that way and get you to what you need to do. No, yeah, definitely. I, and that, that whole idea, that whole concept of uh, everyone working together or, or under the same roof is uh, I think that's the way it should be. You know I mean? I think there's oftentimes too much segregation uh, mm-hmm. between, between fields, you know? Um, and that's an issue in my opinion. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we're really, we're really all, we really should all be on the same page. We're basically doing the same thing. Um, so to be kind of hating on each other is, uh, in my, in my mind just makes things more difficult than they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. I mean, cause when you think about it, what's the most important thing there, whether you're right or, or what the, you know, the patient in front of you. So, you know, yeah, like, that, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, it's yeah. the patients, the patients goals or the, you know, the, the, um, the client's goals that, that we need yeah. to be focusing on, not, not our own stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think, uh, you know, honestly, like, like high school never ends and there's so much drama, mm-hmm. um, just out there in general. And I, I don't think it, uh, like you said, you got to put all the, all those emotions or whatever to the side and just focus on what needs to be done working, working together as a team, teamwork. That's cool. It's a cool mm-hmm. thing. Cool concept. <laughs> teamwork makes the dream work. That's right. See, there you go. Hey, that's what our animatronic CGI uh, character voiced by Charlie Day. That'll be one of his catchphrases. <laughs> Teamwork makes dream Which work. Which is ironic because he's on the evil, like, X-Blades team. Um, but, you know, maybe we'll befriend him and then take him to our side. <laughs> Just, just add some moral ambiguity into it to make the, the viewers really question what is right. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, dude, if you want to, we're going to go down a little Star Wars rabbit hole here, but much like the traditional Jedi Order was originally intended to be, there has to be balance between the light side and dark side of the Force. 
Everyone thinks the Jedi are supposed to be these good crusaders of light and justice. But when they were originally conceived, they were all about balance. They were the true neutral characters in the universe. Just let that sink in for a little bit. <laughs> but balance, you know, balance. I, that's too much to swallow, man. Too much to swallow. I can't. Things. I can't we, grasp it. I, I mean, I, I love, and, and Mike and I talk about this a lot on here. Is just that, you know, our our version of of rehab and sports performance training and all that stuff. It's it's just one continuum. You know what I mean? There shouldn't be a delineation between. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know. Now you're no longer injured. Now we can't work with you. You need to go see this person to do that. Um, it's all part of the same thing. And being able to seamlessly transition or be able to work with people, um, you know, like if I'm in a, a college setting, knowing the limitations of my athletes and communicating that with a strength and conditioning coach so that they can still be part of team workouts, right? They don't lose that athletic identity. They don't feel like they're no longer part of the team. And they're still training to help, you know, keep that foundation um, of strength and conditioning so that they can return back to sport. There needs to be, and I see it all over the place, there needs to be better communication. Um, we talk about, like, interprofessionalism and stuff like that, but, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen it where, like, strength coaches and either ATs or PTs kind of, like, bark back and forth at each other, don't really get along. And um, that's just that shouldn't be how it is. Yeah, there's no need for that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's like an ego ego tripping uh, or something along those lines, but it's definitely out there. Um, hmm. Definitely not beneficial yeah. to the athlete. Mm-hmm. So now, Justin, your research as a master student, PhD candidate, um, it's all about like. Gains. Yeah, pretty much. It's all about the gains. <laughs> That's all it's about. Nothing else. That's all Nothing about. else matters. That's right. All the gains. <laughs> can you, all the gains. Can you speak to us a little bit about like what kinds of stuff you're interested in researching, and or what you have done? Yeah. So uh, I, th- I just submitted a grant uh, this past. Well, actually, uh, this past week. Yeah, um, on Thursday. And uh, I'm kind of proposing the idea of uh, using weight releasers, uh, which basically attach to the barbell. And uh, after you lower uh, the weight, the releasers will disengage, and the corresponding uh, or subsequent repetition, uh, concentric repetition, will be at a lighter load and should therefore be more explosive in nature, um, theoretically. Um, there's basically just a lot of, you know, neuromuscular uh, framework that kind of supports it, um, such as, like, increasing uh, uh, afferent uh, motor neurons and or sensory neurons and, and things of that nature, uh, basically recruiting uh, higher threshold motor units uh, by having a, a high eccentric load instead of... Because eccentric, uh, uh, eccentric loading doesn't activate the musculature the same as concentric loading when the weights are equal. Okay. But my whole, my, my thought process is if you increase the eccentric load, you would recruit higher threshold units or 
or more high threshold motor units than you would had that eccentric load been equal to your concentric, right? If that makes okay. any sense. Okay. Um, so what we're going to do is is basically uh, uh, three three sets of three repetitions at like eighty percent, and then three sets of five repetitions at sixty five percent. Because the other thought process is where does uh, all the research so far has basically been uh, one repetition, right? Uh, just because with weight releasers, it's kind of hard to uh, put them back on every rep, right? So you're kind of like, you know, they disengage, you finish the rep. It's kind of a pain in the ass really to keep putting them on uh, each time. You, you would need to have like uh, uh, two spotters basically uh, mm-hmm. hanging out at the side, just adding the weights. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so it's not very, it's just not very practical in, in nature. So it's, and also we need to know like, uh, that whole balancing fatigue, uh, and potentiation, uh, like we were just talking about balance is so important. So, um, basically figuring out how, if that, uh, heavy eccentric load is causing some sort of fatigue, uh, on those later repetitions. So maybe even the first repetition that might be more powerful, uh, maybe, mm-hmm. but then later on, are the other ones uh, less powerful than they would be had you not had that eccentric, that heavy eccentric load uh, on the first rep? Okay, so you're not only looking at because it, we would oh, well because we we would be using like 120 percent of someone's one rep max, mm-hmm. so it's quite a quite a bit to go down with. Um, that's it. That's all I got. Okay. Go ahead. You had a question? <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you're not only looking at like um, what happens after the, the weight releasers release the weight and like that first concentric, but you're looking at like the sustainability of it over time too. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The time, the whole time course of, uh, of uh, the power or enhanced power theoretically uh, suggested. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, so far, like anything else, research is con- uh, conflicting, right? So you get some people, you know, every, for every, like, five people that you get saying it works, you got five more saying that it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's that's research in a nutshell, you know what I mean? You just got to add to the literature mm-hmm. and uh, until you figure out if it uh, is really beneficial or not. Because, okay. um, again, you know, you got all these exercises, all these tools out there. And I don't think there's enough research. I mean, research is, is growing very rapidly, but there's not a whole lot saying, you know, like, sending this shit work. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, theoretical notions that, that make sense. Um, but if it's not, in my opinion, if it's not statistically significantly uh, different than uh, doing whatever else uh, without the tools, the fancy tools and gadgets, then why, why have all the fancy tools and gadgets? That might be just because I'm a broke college student and I don't have the money to pay for any of these fancy gadgets, but whatever. <laughs> little, little bias. <laughs> I think that makes sense though. Like from a practicality standpoint, like why would you spend all this money on something if it's, uh, you know, equally as effective or not as effective as just, you know, using kettlebells or whatever, you know? So yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or just knowing like uh, when and how to use it. You know, maybe it is effective, but just not effective the way that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just, you know what I mean? So you, yeah, you have to have. Uh, I think re- having research to to back things up is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you also have to have uh, good research to back things up. And I think research is kind of uh, going down the path of uh, 
or basically what I'm trying to say is that I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the way uh, research is being presented and what research is being accepted hmm. uh, in the field. Because I think right now it's all about, well, like anything else, it's all about quantity, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I have to I have to push out so many papers so I look good and, and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't really matter how high quality, uh, how, you know, the caliber of my uh, research isn't as important as the quantity. And in some cases, it feels like mm-hmm. um, I think I think some of that's going to be changing in the near future. Um, I think they're proposing some different uh, ideas where you would kind of, everything is going to be more open access. Okay. Um, and instead of, well, cause the whole, the whole review process is like, you know, you have two reviewers mm-hmm. and they're going to tell you that this paper is good enough or, or not good enough. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and with things changing, uh, you know, maybe that paper was good enough, you know, two years ago, but now not so much. And uh, I think the process is also very long too, right? So you got to send it to the reviewers and then three months later they get back to you and say, well, you got to fix all this and then you fix that and then you send it back to them. And I think the last paper I published, it was like a year Whoa. Uh, by the time we submitted it <laughs> and then it got accepted. So it was a long, you know, it could be a long process. That's not always like that, but it could be a long process mm-hmm. before the information gets out there. So this, this whole new, uh, and it, just an idea that's been passed around is kind of having a, an open access uh, to some of these journals where uh, anyone that's reading it can kind of basically give feedback on it. And it could be not forever changing, but uh, basically molding into a, a better article uh, over time. And the information gets out there uh, faster. Okay. So I think it's kind of a, a win-win, but it also can be a, like anything else, Jacob, like Jacob was saying earlier, there's pros and cons to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think as many pros as there would be for doing something like that, there's also going to be just a whole lot of cons as well. Yes. Balance to the force. <laughs> what I mean, that's, that's an interesting concept. It's almost like taking, um, research and combining it with like Wikipedia, which is interesting because yeah, you know, right? yeah. in high school we were always cautioned, like, don't cite Wikipedia, don't cite Wikipedia. It didn't because anybody can manipulate it. And like change articles around and stuff, and I'm sure we've all seen like funny memes yeah. of like stuff changing on Wikipedia or whatever. But at the same time, there are people whose job yeah. is basically to patrol those articles and like make sure that you have citations. And yeah, know, it's, I think it's a very interesting, almost like glimpse into yeah. almost like just the hive mind of the internet itself. Um, and kind of like. Yeah, because yeah. who 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 buys journals anymore? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They buy access to them, uh, but they're not getting them sent to their house. I'm not paying. I was just looking at the membership for the NSCA, and um, you know, I'm not paying the extra money to have them ship the journal that I'm just going to read online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the the open open access has kind of uh, taken over. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, even. <laughs> Even even with us, like if we don't have access to it, we can find somebody who has access to a library and, you know, like give us a PDF copy. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's always ways to circumvent ways around blocks it. and in place, and you know, a lot of times it's, you know, whether it's for monetary gains or copyright or whatever. I mean, there's there's a reason that people have some of those things in place, but at the same time, like. 
I definitely see that there's a bigger and bigger push, and a lot of people will just pull stuff off um, like PubMed. Yeah. Oh yeah, PubMed's a great a great resource. Um, I mean, you can't find everything, but find next very very near mm -hmm. it. <laughs> true, true. All right, so Mike, I think it's kind of about that time. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah, there's there's one question that we always ask at the end of our show, Justin. Are you ready? Closing time. Yes. <laughs> Semisonic. I was really hoping uh, someone else was going to take over after I sang it like that, but it's fine. It's fine. It's cool. Okay just remember, it. you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Gather up your move into the exits i hope that you found a friend okay that's enough jacob <laughs> just remember every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end oh it's so very deep it is very deep it's very motivational <laughs> one last call for alcohol so finish all your whiskey or beer I you did don't that yesterday. have to go home. <laughs> you can't stay here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, where are we at? All right, so uh, here's our final question for you. So we here at the Movement Docs, we believe in always moving forward in all that you do. So based on all of your previous experience and knowledge and life, love, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best version of themselves? Whew. Really putting me on the spot here. Mm -hmm. So I have to get up because I forget how the quote goes exactly. So I need to go to my refrigerator where I have this magnet of this awesome quote to give me motivation for every day of my life. Um, here it is. Okay. This is it. This is the quote that I would give to everybody. Uh, I'm quoting G.B. Shaw, who passed in 1950, in case anyone wants to know. Um, a life spent making mistakes is not only more honorable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. And I think that's mm -hmm. definitely a quote that uh, I pretty much live by because I fail at everything all the time. And, uh, <laughs> I just keep plugging away, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I think, in all honesty, that's, I feel like that's the biggest part of the PhD program is basically teaching you how to fail <laughs> and kind of get back up and keep on going, man. You know what I mean? I, uh, yeah. I just submitted a, well, like I said, I, I just submitted this grant and, uh, uh, the amount of times that I went over this thing before I submitted it is like countless. And right before I submitted it, I added uh, a header and footer, right? Mm. And it mm. shifted the format of the paper. So like, instead of it being only on one page, it was like one page in one line onto the next. Oh no. Yes. So, and I submitted it and had like after I submitted, I could not go back and change it. Um, like you can't get back in there and, and do whatever. So I'm like, I just spent so much time, like weeks of work to put this grant together. And, uh, 
just pretty much ruined it. <laughs> like a second. <laughs> <laughs> so like <laughs> the most devastating uh, thing ever. And uh, hopefully the reviewers are out there listening to this podcast and are being forgiving to my uh, mistakes, but <laughs> like, <laughs> AKA, please, AKA, please still look at my grant application. <laughs> I'm not to beg, but to beg. <laughs> But yeah, man, I mean, it's just constantly, uh, um, it's a learning process. It's everything's a learning process, but, uh, I think in all honesty, I'd rather be doing this, um, mm-hmm. and failing all the time, uh, mm-hmm. and getting better, uh, because of my failures mm-hmm. than uh, than doing nothing. Uh, you know, I would be, uh, going crazy with myself if I, uh, basically wasn't failing, I guess. <laughs> in yeah, essence. I mean, it makes you stronger, right? Um, there's there's some sailor's quote, and I, I we may have mentioned it before, but it was something to the effect of like, um, you fear the sailor that's never weathered a storm. So right. it's it's the you know like it's it's the the act of going through the the trials and tribulations of life or whatever it is that you're going through that ends up making you ultimately stronger in the end. So that's a phenomenal quote. You have. Yeah, it reminds me of that Kelly Clarkson yeah, song. Um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> Oh my god, I definitely just pictured her singing it in my head too. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> Sorry, Kelly. We're, I just want you to know we're gonna have to pay copyright fees because you sang that song, so um right, hopefully yeah. some of your hopefully that grant gets approved because we're gonna have to use some of that money to pay for this. <laughs> Yeah, you see, I can't actually, I can't use any of those funds for personal, personal use. So, <laughs> so that's going to be a hard no. Again, sorry, Kelly. I, I mean, I guess we can just edit that part out, but you know, nah, it's no fun. No. Nah. <laughs> how else? How else am I going to get on American Idol? That was mm. my, that was my claim to fame, right there. That's your audition tape, right there. Yeah. You want me to personally send that to Simon Cowell? Um, he's a little harsh. He doesn't work on American Idol anymore either, but so, I mean, uh, I guess I could still send it to him. Oh. Yeah. It's probably better to send it to him then. Mm-hmm. Someone that doesn't work on American Idol is probably best to get the tape. <laughs> <laughs> Flawless. <laughs> At least, you know, Randy Jackson just be like, yeah, dog, you good, dog. And that would be, that'd be like it. That should be my goal in life. To get Randy to Jackson do something to, to get just Randy Jackson to say that. <laughs> <laughs> the crowning moment. <laughs> yeah. The pinnacle of, the pinnacle of achievement. Yeah. All, That's all when be you good in life after that. You made it. <laughs> Make your exactly. own certification up, like for Randy Jackson's approval of singing. <laughs> Randy Jackson's certified voice performer. R- 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 RJC. RJC. <laughs> yeah, Randy Jackson certified. Yeah, nice. Yeah. It's beautiful. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Justin, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on our show. <laughs> um, if anyone's listening to the show that wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that? Uh, email is cool. Okay. Uh, should I, should I uh, say that out loud, I guess? Um, am I going to get any solicitors? No soliciting. <laughs> 
No soliciting allowed. <laughs> but yeah, no, you can, you guys, uh, anyone can reach me on email. Uh, my Gmail is uh, my last name, Merrigan33 uh, at gmail.com. Uh, I guess I should spell that, even though it's not the not the hardest name, but M-E-R-R-I-G-A-N 33 at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, just shoot me an email and I'm more than happy to uh, help you with whatever. Awesome. As long as it's not like life advice, I'm probably not the best uh, person to go to that to for that, you know. But <laughs> feel free to follow him on Pinterest and uh, <laughs> Tumblr and uh, MySpace and Zanga. Um, yes, please add me on MySpace. I just realized I only have like 26 friends. <laughs> you only have two in your top eight, too. By the way, <laughs> you know what? Whatever. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Well, thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke yeah. with Justin Perrigan. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Bye.